Welcome to Boating Industry Insider, where we talk to executives, thought leaders, and movers and shakers from both inside and outside the marine industry. Now here's your host, David G. Hello again, everyone. David G. back here with you. Thank you for joining us. Also looking forward to being joined by Stephen Ladd, boater extraordinaire, adventurer, world traveler. He wrote a book a few years ago called Three Years in a 12-Foot Boat. Talked about his solo adventures from the Missouri to the, uh, to the Pacific, South America, and the Caribbean. Now he's got another book, The Five-Year Voyage, talking about the true story of rowing and sailing through 19 countries, 18,000 miles, all on a 21-foot ultralight where you were, wow, robbed, arrested, shipwrecked, and uh, hopefully found a, a few good times as well. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you, David. Where did you get the idea that you would travel around the world via boat. Were you exposed uh, to boating early in, in your life? Yeah, I was. Being here in Bremerton, Washington, in the Seattle area, we had some boating going on in the family. But I'm not um, purely a boater. As, as you know, my first major travel was not a boating travel, but the second and third ones have been. Boating is just a convenient practical way to do the kinds of adventures that I want to do. So the, the boat is kind of secondary to, to the experience. Although, you know, uh, if you spend three years, five years <laughs> on a boat, it, it, it also is of course woven into, into that experience. Were you, so with this, the, the 21 foot, uh, ultralight was a sea pearl. Um, uh, you had running lights, GPS, VHF, all running on disposable batteries via 21, uh, a 20 watt solar panel, 12 volt. Did you, it sounds like you're super handy. Did you rig that system up yourself? We did. Well, we had advice. We had a couple of key people give us some key advice. One just minor technicality, I suppose, but it's illustrative of adapting to this sort of situation is that a friend of ours, noted that we're going to be wanting to take a laptop with us. And there was a certain brand and make of laptop, one of the Asus models, the ampage of which allowed it to be charged directly from uh, the solar panel without having to be inverted. So that's just a technical example. We're, we're not super technical people. We, we, have, we just had a very simple boat and um, it, it mostly does not did not involve much mechanical or electronic things. But I would point out that um, the, the boating voyages, there, there's one other aspect of personality that, that, that indicates it be a boat. And that's that um, I am a minimalist and so is my wife. And um, a boat is kind of a little pod that you place around yourself. And I've always felt very comfortable, kind of like in my own little cocoon and taking that with me. Well, you should kind of set the scene for that cocoon and, and the boat itself. So 21 feet long uh, with a, a, an amazing six foot or six inch draft, uh, basically a flat bottom with, with or at least transversely. I, I saw you, uh, uh, one of the pictures in the book, sitting basically on the heart or on the beach, you know, in, you know, in this boat completely upright. And then you fashioned uh, the cabin yourself, right? So eight feet long, three feet wide, kind of like a, 
maybe kind of inverted canoe kind of thing. Did you fashion that, that cabin yourself? Right. We did design and build that. Yeah, because the Sea Pearl is an open boat. It comes with a large opening, about eight feet long and four feet wide, three and a half feet wide. And that, that was one of the major tasks we had to do was to enclose that, provide ourselves with, a, with a, some space inside, sitting headroom if you just sit butt hard on the floor. And um, most importantly, capsize resistance. You know, she's not going to self-right per se, but you're going to be able to save yourself with water not entering the, the hull. What was, you know, when it, when it comes to preparing for a, a trip like this, can, can you, is there such a thing as, as preparing for every eventuality? Obviously, things happen along the way that, that you, you can't imagine that you can't prepare for. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, that preparation and, and, and the best laid plans and, and how you kind of uh, adapt and rock and roll when, when you know, the, the guaranteed unexpected things come your way. Well, I suppose that's a calmness, pretty much, just to um, be prepared for that which you can prepare for and uh, also be prepared for that which you cannot prepare for. Um, uh, just, just not to get too ruffled, I guess. Um, you, in, in, a, in a small boat like this, it's, you can't begin to bring all the things you need. You can't even begin. You have to be very strategic about it. Um, this is sort of a, this is semi-joke and semi-true, and that's that, like, three years on a 12-foot boat, I, everything that I had had at least two purposes, and example of that being that my Frisbee, which I played Frisbee all the time, just solo, if nothing else, was also the plate I ate off of, and it was for three years, the plate I ate off of. Adolf, at any rate, um, you um, just just have a few, you have some nails and you have some nuts and you have some bolts and you have a screwdriver, but you don't have an electric drill because you don't have power for one anyway. And um, you're just, um, you know, riding with the punches. At the end of these voyages, <laughs> how do you feel about your boat? Are you just really ready for dry land? Do you miss it? Tell me about the back and forth between, mm -hmm. you know, the, the rhythm of life on the boat and the rhythm of life uh, post-boat. Yeah, good, good thing to point out is that um, I, I perhaps have not boated any more than you in your lifetime. It's just that I have done so very clumped the other you know three years of nothing but and five years of nothing but not that much in between so i just have chosen to clump my my boat and experience and um and i and i love it thoroughly but in both cases you've got this wanderlust actually there's a, a novel um <clears throat> uh moby dick by 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 uh herman melville who yep. the um protagonist he has to go to sea that's how it begins he has to go to sea because it, it's built up in him the, the longing for the sea and and in a way that's me though the wanderlust builds up and then um then i expiate it i satisfy it uh, until it's gone and then i'm then i'm good for another 18 years will you ever reach a point where you're like okay the couch is looking pretty good here for a while mm -hmm. i'm building a new boat now that is 
of possible use in the future. I mean, why else would I be building it? I, I guess my, what I mean to say is that I'm building it because in my most recent boating experience, the the boat that I had made made its limitations obvious. You sit on a boat all this time, you know, you're at the tiller, you're thinking, I wish this or I wish that, because if it wasn't for that, I'd be going faster, I'd be more comfortable. Um, and so I, I, I'm driven to imagine a, a different and a better boat. And um, however, the the time in my life hasn't come yet to where I have the want to 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 say that for sure that I'm going to do something. But I, I do intend to have that boat ready uh, in case I do, and I, and I probably will. <laughs> Just in case. Well, uh, if, if past is any uh, indication of, uh, of Prologue in the future, then, then I would say that uh, you've got another adventure and, and perhaps another book coming. I should mention, I should have mentioned at the outset that you had built a, a kind of a lazarette into the, the stern of the boat that also included a sliding seat rowing station. So you not only kind of sailed and, and, and boated and motored your way through these 19 countries and 18,000 miles, but you rowed your way through R-O-W-E-D uh, through part of it as well. Uh, it looked like you could do about two and a half knots in, in flat water, flat sea. How did that figure in to kind of the voyage overall? Did it, did it make you feel like a more active participant? Did it keep you physically fit? Uh, tell us a little bit about the rowing station. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And both those suppositions on your part are correct. They, it's a very good way to um, get physical fitness in your legs, which is what tends to get missed on a boated adventure. You, you may generally get physical activity cruising, say, but not much really leg work. And, and in a rowing station, you're, you're getting about 80% of your propulsion from your legs. So um, that's good. And it's, um, oh, I could sprint, I could sprint my 21 foot sea pearl at three knots, um, without any trouble, two and a half might be a cruising speed. And, um, so it's totally practical. It, it gets you there. It's something that, um, you, that we would do for a couple hours a day, just out of exercise. And then as well as doing it when, there's some problem with like no wind or something like that. And um, it's, it was very, okay. The, the, the cockpit of the sea pearl is not real huge and it is taken up entirely by the rowing station when it is set in place. So um, it's, it's something that very definitely has to be set up, taken down, set up, taken down. And when it's set up, my wife, my, my partner, she cannot coexist with me in the, in the, in the cockpit, but she has a really comfortable place just forward of me to sit, uh, sitting on the companionway um, bridge deck, their feet down in the cabin, looking over the cabin top. She's conning the boat. She's saying starboard port, that kind of thing, and which is really nice because when you're rowing, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a pain to try to con yourself. You have to have a mirror, rear view mirror and that sort of thing. 
You know, I'm struck by the incredible teamwork that it takes to to achieve something like this, including, you know, reaching into the cabin for things that, you know, you call it, uh, I think, take in, take out and, and choreographing those things. You, you mentioned that you and your wife are both minimalists, which helps uh, living together for, for years in an eight by, by three foot space. What else about the experience? I mean, certainly it's 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 immersive uh, by by nature. What are some of the the broad takeaways that that you come away from a voyage like this with, and and how does it change your perspective in terms of how you live? You know, the choices you make, the values you have for for life on dry land. <laughs> yeah, well, we we all live for some sparkling beautiful thing that we hope to see or achieve or you know a passion that we have and what what struck us about this voyage the the five-year voyage was that it began it began without such a ambitious goal in mind it began to uh, be a way to go to the western caribbean and and go to those atolls there's there's one atoll off of the yucatan coast called banco chinchoro and then there are three of them off the coast of Belize, and these are atolls like exist in the in the Pacific. Um, they're they're just incredible uh, snorkeling places. And so we went there, but then we realized the potential of the boat, and we, we, it was kind of like when you're riding a horse, you l- let the horse have its head. They say you let it you let it decide how fast it wants to go. We almost did that with our boat because that boat once we hadn't. We didn't realize until we got going what we had come up with, the way, the way we had put those parts of it together. Uh, you've mentioned some of the components, but what's really important also were the, was the way we did our tankage and our storage, all being in little transverse bins attached to the floor with a lid over the top to help in, in a capsize. And um, that boat was so great that once we got down to South America, they, the the most important or interesting part was going through the rivers of South America. And um, of course, for the two, the two horse um, outboard motor was, was uh, essential for that. So it was just the ability to go to such um, pristine, beautiful places and see wildlife like is better than the rest of my life put together, you know, it, you know, and I'm an outdoors person, but I had to go to South America to, to see a cougar, even though I live in the Pacific Northwest. And, um, so that's that's what what enriches us, and that really made us happy to have done it. So you put uh, a few nautical miles on that two horsepower uh, Honda outboard. Did you you kind of wore it out, didn't you? Did yes. you have to do some cylinder work or valve job or something? Right. Yeah. We we absolutely did not use it the way you're supposed to use it. That I suppose is meant to be pushing a little dinghy or something, and um, we got it in order to go eastward into the trade winds all along the, the Caribbean coasts of Panama, Colombia, and Venezuela in the windiest time of year. And um, that, that, um, that was the beginning of the end. Well, the one, one problem of, the, of that little motor is that it's, its lubricating oil capacity is only one quarter of one quart. You know, its tank holds one quart of fuel and it cords one quarter quart of, of oil. So you don't have to wait, you don't have to go too long, you know, without checking the oil before you've, you've lost that motor. And that's what happened eventually. 
<laughs> that that is that is really amazing. I want to I want to ask about your favorite country, but before I, I get to that, I want to ask what. Uh, of course, you you learn about other people. You learn about your art. You know your place in the world as as an American, as an adventurer, as a as a traveler, as a as a man. Uh, what was the kind of the biggest surprise or the greatest insight that you learned from this latest five year voyage about yourself? Oh, I- there, I guess it gives me a chance to just um, say how how surprised I was, at least, to have or be so lucky as to have my my spouse with me, and and so totally copacetic, compatible we were. She she was. Um, I should mention that this whole voyage, this whole five year voyage, was more her idea than mine. She knew about my previous voyage, and then when we met she suggested that we go traveling together in the same way. And she never at all backed off from that. She never, she was always as enthusiastic as I was. Um, so that was, um, that was a beautiful thing to have in my life. Uh, uh, such a total partnership. You know, all, all my guy friends who are, who are boaters or even those who aren't say, you know, I'm really lucky to have a wife who likes to water ski and wake surf and, and wakeboard and just float on the boat and drive the boat when I want to do those things. But man, you, you really <laughs> found the needle in the haystack. I don't know of too many, uh, too many women who, who like boats or otherwise who would, uh, who would be up for an adventure like that. So, so good for you and good for the, the both of you, actually. Yeah, it's it's to be noted that that Ginny, my wife, is not particularly a boater. She's not particularly strong. She's a rather small person, but she just has the gumption. You know, like uh, uh, do you have do you have courage at three a.m. when you're in the middle of a of of a norther in in the Caribbean? And, and she does. You know, she doesn't whine or whimper. She just keeps going. Gets on with it. Wow. Uh, it, it, that's amazing. So now I do want to ask you what uh, of the 18 countries and, and uh, the 19,000 miles, uh, 18,000 miles, 19 countries, what was your favorite part? And, and were you surprised at your favorite part? Well, it was definitely the Amazonian region. And in particularly, it was the Rio Negro. The um, this is all in Brazil. And um What's surprising about the, the Rio Negro, it's, it's part of the Amazon. What, what distinguishes it from the rest of the Amazon is that for some climatological reason or vegetative reason, the water there is, and this is why they call it the Rio Negro or the Black River, it's tinted black. It's not black from any sediment. It's actually very clear. It's crystal clear in that sense, but it has a tannic acid from all the vegetation that makes it black once you have a depth of say one foot of it that you're trying to look through, then, then it looks black. But if you're just looking at a glass, it's just kind of like a mild tea. Anyway, that tannic acid prevents any um, uh, mosquitoes or noceums from growing. And so you have this large region of um, the Amazonia that for some reason, there's no bugs biting you there. Every place else there is. And that made a big difference. The water is just very clean and um, a wonderful temperature to, to swim in. You know, it's a little hot, but you always have that very, very refreshing um, water. And so 
the water is so there's so much of it. The 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 real Negro is so big that I mean the Amazon is even bigger, I guess, but uh, not by much. And um, there's often sea horizons. It's typical to not see land on the other side. And the um, we were there in the time of year in which the river was high and it floods the surrounding forest lands. So it's much bigger than normal and you're, you're boating through it and you're going through, you have no idea what's underneath you. What, what's underneath you may be where the river normally is, or it may be farms on one side or the other of the river. It may be forests. It may be, um, sloughs or swamps or, or lakes or something and you're going along and you're you're seeing treetops you don't these are they look like just little trees but they're just tips of big trees and you can um, tie off to them and and stream away from them with the current and that's just a totally acceptable way to spend the night just tie off to a tree but um, there are you may if you do that you may want to take a precaution which is to make your line that ties off to that tree go underwater part of the way, like with a weight in the middle or something, because whatever's on that tree has been treed, you know, all the insects as the, as the waters go up, all the insects find the highest point. It might be a tree and then they are just waiting for something else to go on to. So um, we had, we had a lot, we had a lot of ants (laughs) The things you, you got, learn that uh, most people won't, right? Right. Yeah, you probably don't need to remember that because you because you're not likely to be there in that situation. <laughs> Good to know, though. Uh, so the the time has gone by amazingly fast. I'm 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 I've loved reading the book. I've I've loved having this conversation with you. You're a super interesting person. Uh, could spend you know days talking about this, but want to ask you uh, in closing. The boat was named Thurston. Uh, Want to hear where Thurston came from? And then uh, let's end with uh, what happened to Thurston. Okay. Um, well, in both my books, Three Years in a 12-Foot Boat and The Five-Year Voyage, my boat was named after a former cat. So the first book, the boat was named Squeak, named after my cat Squeak. The, the Five-Year Voyage, we named it after Jenny's recently departed cat Thurston and squeak still exists. Um, She is owned by a young woman in Portland, Oregon, Thurston. The final step of the five-year voyage was that we had the baby in Brazil. We continued with the baby through about six or eight months of travel in the rivers. But once we got to the, end of the rivers were at the mouth of the Amazon needing to go to the United States by open Atlantic ocean. I went by myself because it was not feasible with baby aboard. And I made it as far as the Dominican Republic. And I made a big mistake. I capsized entering a coral reef lagoon going over the pass into a lagoon without um, anticipating the, well, I, I was watching the, the surf and I hopefully lack thereof, but I didn't watch it long enough. And so when I got to the critical moment, a series of 
larger waves came that were really large and um <clears throat> and i lost the boat the boat wasn't i call it a shipwreck because the the rig was entirely lost the rowing capacity was entirely lost and the motor was kaput um but the hull itself was survived and that's what i sold and went home at that point wow well thank you for taking it home thanks for sharing stephen ladd author of three years in a 12-foot boat amazing and uh the the more recent five-year voyage thanks for sharing your adventures with us you've had a fascinating life and uh, i've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation well thank you david and thank you for joining us as well i'm david g stay happy stay healthy stay safe and we will see you next time so long everyone thanks again for listening to this edition of boating industry insider We'd love your feedback or let us know if you have any ideas for future episodes. Happy boating.